In the name of our God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Um, I know that you'll be gracious with me this morning. Um, I'll probably go long, just telling you right up front. Um, I may cry, although I might have gotten most of those tears out at 8 o'clock. Um, what I want to talk about this morning is basically this, that to be human is to grieve, and to grieve is to be human, and it is to be like Jesus. Grief is the psychological, neurobiological, physiological, relational, emotional, spiritual, that is human experience of loss. It's also a very human 21st century American, even American Christian, human experience to avoid grief, to suppress it, to numb it, to avoid it, to flee from it. At least that's been my experience, and it's been my experience as a pastor as well. And to subtly or not so subtly require that avoidance of others. A related premise that I can't develop today, but I want to put out there, is that to be human is to experience anxiety, to experience anxiousness. And to experience anxiety is to be human. Anxiety can be described as, again, an embodied experience of anticipating loss. And it's also a very human experience to shame or berate ourselves around anxiousness, to white-knuckle it, and to clobber ourselves and others with, thank you, St. Paul, do not be anxious scriptures. Until my mom died two weeks ago yesterday and Hux's devastating death, I'd been planning to preach on the epistle and take issue with Paul's do not be anxious. Grounding it in a very helpful book I read earlier this year, entitled The Anxiety Opportunity by Curtis Chang. Um, I commend that to you and I file it by title. Then Ted Bilbo died. My friend Tim Bond from Gulf Breeze, my, my age, died of congestive heart failure. My mom died and Hux died. All of that on top of Eric and Deb and Frank and rich this year, and more. Today's Old Testament reading and psalm were read at my mom's funeral, and we didn't pull an audible on those. The gospel, for some of you that noticed, I audibled the gospel um, to the gospel that was read at my mom's funeral and Ted Bilbo's funeral.
Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25 comes after a long section of judgment and doom on the nations and on Israel and Jerusalem. And we hear God saying through Isaiah, he will swallow up on this mountain. That is swallow up, gulp down, devour, consume on this mountain, the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, hindering sight and perception. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach or disgrace or shame of his people, he will take away from the earth. John in at the end of Revelation, the final, really the final scene in the whole Bible echoes those words from Isaiah 25 when he says, I saw a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, a new heavens and a new earth. God will make his home with his people. God will be with them. As if in some ways he's not with us now. And of course, in many ways he is, but and then he says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. In other words, grief and wailing, lamenting and pain will be no more. God's promise through the prophet Isaiah and John, the revelator, is that God will. Not that God has. At least not that he has fully. Grief and wailing and pain will be no more. Which means what, my friends? It's an expected part of our human experience now. There's a lot more to be said to balance what I'm emphasizing today in a long sermon. So please, again, extend your grace. I would love to talk with anyone about any of this. And I acknowledge this is only part of the picture that I'm emphasizing today. But I believe the word of the Lord for my community includes this truth, that grief and anxiety testify to the not yet part of our experience as Christians. You know, we talk about the now and not yet kingdom that we experience it, we experience the, the blessings of the gospel, but it's also not yet, it's not, not come fully. And we long for it, we wait for it, like the Isaiah finishes, we've waited for God's salvation. And one day we will be able to say, God 
saved us completely. It's a, it's a part of human and I'm going to argue Christ-like experience. We Christians are now and not yet people. Can we hold both? Can we rejoice in the Lord always and rejoice with those who weep? I mean, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Can we hold the now and the not yet? Today I'm asking, can we not minimize or deny our not yet experience? Because I think it's really important to be fully human. I had a section going into Philippians 3 and reinforcing that point. I leave that to you if you're interested. The week that I made an emergency trip up to be with my mom two weeks ago this past Friday to be with her as she was dying. I got to be with her for five hours. She was not conscious. Um, and as the same with my dad, I was the only one in the room with her in the very early hours of the morning when she died. But two days before that, I met with someone who's dealing with something similar. And one of the questions we discussed was, am I grieving right? Now, before I share a bit more about that, I will say that I've had the same haunting question the last two weeks. I've thought a lot about grief. Many of you know this. I've thought a lot about grief since my last two years of trauma work. Um, but close at hand, the haunting question, the tempter, my own self-critic, are you grieving right? Are you living your talk? What I shared with this friend and what I've been speaking to myself and what I say to my community is that we want to grieve well, not right. There is no grieving right. We're all unique individuals with different histories. But we need to grieve because it's in us. And we need to grieve well. And what came to me to say to her is honor your grief. Find a way to honor your grief. Gabe shared so beautifully at the beginning of his sermon last week, you know, our call to make sacred space, to hold the pain of, of others, in this case, Molly and Andrew Robinson and Barron and Simon. A lot of my grief, um, yeah, I didn't say this at eight, but a lot of my grief was not being here. And I wept. More about Hux than I did my mom, which kind of makes sense. But I wasn't here. Honor your grief. 
and honor the grief of others. If there's any word today, that's the word. The suffering servant of Isaiah 53, whom we understand to be Jesus, the true Israel, the true human, the suffering servant is said to be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So the one who's the most fully human, the most beautiful, the most whole, the most loving, the most mature, the most grounded, the most peace-filled person to ever exist, the one we love and trust and follow and pray to be conformed to his image, was one of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He befriended grief. I guess I'm, again, calling myself and calling you, our congregation, um, our church, the Christian church, our world, to not be afraid of sorrows and to become acquainted with grief, not just as a period of mourning, a devastating loss, uh, but as a part of the way we do life. As a culture and generally as a church, and again, I'm speaking personally, but also as one who's been a priest in the church for going on 40 years, uh, we are very uncomfortable with grief. And our culture gives us lots of ways to avoid grieving. Brene Brown in her landmark and amazing and viral TED Talk, The Power of Vulnerability, uh, which was released back when many of you were just little kids, um, back in 2010, I think. Um, she, she said in that talk that you can, and I'm basically quoting her here, you cannot selectively numb emotion. In other words, you cannot numb hard emotions and affects such as, quoting Brene, vulnerability, grief, fear, and shame without numbing joy and gratitude and happiness. You cannot selectively numb. So our flight from grief undermines our ability to rejoice and experience joy as well. Let me say, so some, some uh, I, I do want to say, like, observing from a distance, I've been so thankful for how this community has grieved, you know, and has embraced and surrounded this family and one another, and hearing what the youth group's been doing, and, and just, um, but I do think this is God's word for us. Um, and I may, part of what I have to say may be hard, um, and I, I, I say it very personally, um, and again, I think Jesus is here inviting us. Um, 
And again, thank you for your patience. Uh, Francis Weller wrote a, a really good book. It's not a Christian book. It is spiritual, but it's not Christian, called The Wild Edge of Sorrow, which has been very, very meaningful to me in this the last couple of years. Um, he writes toward the beginning of that book, there is, a there is some strange intimacy between grief and aliveness. Some sacred exchange be what, between what seems unbearable and what is most exquisitely alive. I talked with one of you recently in a poignant, tender, vulnerable conversation. Um, this is someone who's experienced tremendous pain um, about the common saying, which I've said numerous times, either out loud to someone um, or to myself, and I suspect at least some of you have said this or thought this. I can't imagine what you're going through. Now again, please be kind to yourself. Um, with this person I was sitting with, um, and, and I, in my work, I, I, some of the, I, I actually had heard how unhelpful that phrase is, got on my radar a year or two ago, um, but this person brought it up recently with me in this very tender conversation. And she said, you know, when I've heard that, it's never landed with me. I know people mean well, they're trying to honor the immensity, the overwhelmingness of the situation, but it feels distancing. It feels like you're putting me over here and you're staying over here. After the eight o'clock service, a woman who also, who I've known for years, who had a devastating loss years ago, in tears was saying, that's exactly what I felt. And when people said, you're so strong, and this and that, she's like, no, what else could I do? Don't say, don't, anyway. What the devastated person, perhaps, dear Molly and Andrew, may want to hear is, or may like feel, is please try to imagine. Please draw near and hurt with me. Empathy and compassion means imagining what it's like to be in your situation. Please try. What does it mean to weep with those who weep? Not to be a literalist or a fundamentalist about it, but I think it means to weep. Weep with those who weep. I, I think it means something like moving toward, trying to imagine and feel and be with and hold metaphorically or literally the other 
in their grief and wailing and pain until our compassionate presence, our staying with communicates more than any words, just presence. It communicates you're loved, you're seen, you're valued, you're not crazy and you won't be swallowed up. Though it feels like it. And it also, I think, means giving no timeline, no shoulds. Permit me to share a little bit about Jesus at the grave of his friend, Lazarus. Which, this was the gospel read at my mom's funeral. It was the gospel read at Ted Bilbo's funeral the same day that my mom was buried, or that I buried my mom. Um, and I want to look at the paragraph after what we heard Deacon Susan read. Uh, Martha goes and calls her sister Mary. In verse 29, it says, when Mary heard it, she rose quickly and went to Jesus. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, listen to this, I've missed it for years. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. She had a community. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him exactly what Martha had said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then, as many of you know, the Bible's shortest verse, Jesus wept. He wept with Mary and her friends, and he wept for Lazarus and his death greatly disturbed and deeply moved. If I had time, I would do what I love to do, which is to go to the passion and the crucifixion. I will simply say this, that the Bible says, Jesus offered up prayers with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Matthew says he became sorrowful and troubled. And Luke says, he was in agony and sweat blood. 
Um, a little acronym quickly may help some of us. Um, and it's the letters ache, uh, like the word ache, A-C-H-E. Um, regarding sorrow or anxiousness, pay attention, attention. Just th that alone is a win. Pay, pay attention to that sick feeling in your stomach or that tense, tenseness up here. Notice it. Curiosity, see, curiosity, inquire. What's going on? Why am I feeling anxious? Why am I being overwhelmed with sorrow? I mean, that might be obvious in some cases, but be curious. Again, not shutting it down, paying attention. Be curious, honor, honor it. Give it space, hold it, respect it, look at it. Find a creative way to engage with it. Journaling, art, pottery, going for a walk in the woods, having a special friend that you meet with regularly. Honor it. Don't numb or avoid or stuff it. Again, I'm talking to myself. And then E, express it. Express it to, your, to yourself, to your own soul, to God, being like Jesus, to God, expressing it to God, and expressing it to at least one or some safe person. The one who wept with Mary, with Mary, as well as for Lazarus, will wipe away every tear from every eye. That's what the text says. That is an incredibly intimate, compassionate, tender. How many people here would you? invite to draw so near to have such a vulnerable place in your body and wipe the tears away. Let me just, how many people here would you even let see you cry? Let alone have that kind of tenderness and safety and vulnerability. And this is what God says he will do. That's why Jesus drew near. The one who weeps will wipe away every tear from every eye. Because many of us are so unacquainted with grief, we, we, fear, we fear we will be swallowed up. We feel we will be swallowed up by it if we open that gate a little bit, right? And that's what it feels like. And that's a part of honoring what's going on, like being honest about that. As Christians, we believe the way to resurrection, the way to all things new is through pain, sorrow, and death. That's our story. The one who was swallowed up by death will swallow up death. 
And while we feel maybe that we're going down and going to be lost in deep darkness, his promise is, the hope of the gospel is, we will not be finally. He will wipe away our tears and he will take away the shroud, the pall, covering all human experience. Jesus invites us to learn from him to grieve, to be with him in grief. And Jesus has come so near and will do so in order to be with us in our sorrow and grief until, until it's no longer not yet. Thanks be to God.